Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode. This is Selena, and I'm here with Jintana, and she is, I can say, my, we're pretty much cousins, right? Yeah, you could say yeah. that. <laughs> I think your dad is my mom's cousin, so that makes us second cousins. Um, Jintana is a tour coordinator at the Wing Look Museum, and the recipe she's shared with me, she's of Laotian descent like I am, and she'll share with us and as well as like the political history of Laos and how we pretty much got here. Great. Thank you for having me today. <laughs> um we should let's just okay, let's just talk about the recipe. You sent okay. me um kapow. Yeah. Which is which can be made with chicken and pork. Mm-hmm. And that's my that's my best friend's favorite food, actually. Oh. Um, and then the coconut sticky rice. Yes. What made you want to share those recipes? Um, well, okay, to be honest, although I like to cook, I actually don't cook that much Laotian food. I actually really don't. So it was a little bit difficult to think of the few recipes that I did know. And these were the two that came up and they're my favorite. And I, they're also pretty easy to make too. I feel like I cook a lot more sweet things than I do savory things. Um, so I wanted to have a mixture of both, but I wanted to introduce, not introduce, but I wanted to share the pandan coconut sticky rice just because it's pretty iconic. It's something that you see in a lot of like Southeast Asian, especially Thai and Laotian restaurants. Um, and it just features a lot of my favorite flavors ever. Like I love pandan, I could put it in everything. And I know that people um, people can have polarizing opinions about coconut, like they either love it or hate it. Well, I love it. So just had to feature the pandan coconut sticky rice. And the kapow, um, it is just such an easy dish to make, which I guess is the reason why I know how to make it. Um, and I just love basil. I could also put basil on anything savory, maybe even on sweet things too. So, yeah. Were they like dishes that your mom taught you or did you like explore it on your own? Um, these were definitely dishes that my mom made growing up. Kind of like you, the pandan sticky rice is definitely a treat. You know, I didn't have it every day, um, but my mom made it every now and then. She also had a sweet tooth just like me. So she made a lot of sweets and desserts growing up, which I guess is why I'm barely more familiar with making Asian desserts than I am savory dishes. And she made the kripal every now and then, but I think I just make it really often um, and really easily because it is so easy. Yeah. Yeah. So it features Thai basil. And then how spicy do you make it? I saw that there were Thai chilies in that recipe. Oh, yeah. Um, I personally like it 
pretty spicy. I mean, I guess it depends on what I'm making it for. If I'm like just meal prepping my lunch, I'm not trying to have a ton of spice while I'm at work in the office, in the lunchroom. So I tone it down a bit, but otherwise I like to, I like to go all out with that. So like five stars if you were at a Thai restaurant? Thailand probably probably four stars <laughs> four stars if I if I really want something spicy um I don't know I don't think I would make anything five stars unless I purposely want a challenge for the night my spice level is good but it's not like the best well I if like it's a too spicy oh if it's too spicy I can't taste the food like Oh yeah, that's too much. Yeah. How much fish sauce to put into like whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I wish I had that experience growing up. <laughs> I mean, my mom is the nicest person ever. You know, you've met her. But I just didn't have like a friendship or a good I don't want to say I didn't have a good relationship with her growing up because, you know, she was always really nice to me. Um, But we're just so different that, I don't know, we never just had casual conversations or just talked with each other. And I just never thought to like hang out with her and help her in the kitchen and watch her while she cooked. So when I moved out, like I didn't know anything. So the few Lao dishes that I know how to make, it's like, yeah, part of it is vaguely remembering what my mom used to make, but it's having to look up recipes online, which Mm -hmm. feels kind of weird doing. And I think, yeah, that contributes to why I don't, why am I worried, why I don't cook a lot of the foods I have. So did your mom, would your mom like share like her past, her life before America with you or would your dad talk about it at all? Um, it's, it, it was never something that they shared without prompt or they, something they chose to share. It was always something that I had to like proactively ask them about and I still feel like to this day I don't really know the full story whether that be because there's a language barrier between my parents and I or if it's just like something they don't think is worth knowing or something they're uncomfortable with talking about I don't really know I think that's what I've noticed with like a lot of folks I've been talking to about that about that is like we don't really have all like their entire life story unless prompted but like we have these bits and pieces and with like background information and understanding like what happened in that part of the world we're able like put the pieces together I don't know this project started well I was thinking about this project even before because I felt like when my dad passed away, he like, we lost like so many stories that could have been told. It sucked. And now I'm trying to like almost revive that 
through you and through like my sisters and my cousin that I'm trying um, that I'm going to interview um, this week. We can start with like, what, at what age did your parents like come to America, and how did they meet? If you knew or oh, if they gosh. told you, I don't really have a clear story of how they met which I feel kind of bad about now. Like, I, you're right. I We really should be able to, like, get these stories <laughs> from them if we're able to. Yeah, I think the funny thing about oral, tra like, oral tradition is that not every detail is, like, accurate. The story's through you, right? It's your parents' story. Mm -hmm. And then it's, like, translated by you. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I guess it's like a game of telephone where things definitely get misinterpreted, misinterpreted along the way or mistranslated or whatever along the way. So you come out with just this weird version that's a semblance of the true story. Um, but I, anyways, I think I think from what I remember and like vaguely understand, my parents met back when they were in Laos, um, when they were both going to the only high school in Vientiane. The Lycée. What? Um, yeah, my, my dad probably went to that high school too. Probably. So. <laughs> yeah, they said, and th this was just told to me when I went to Laos with my parents in 2018, but they, he, they said it was the only high school in Vientiane back then. Um, I'm not sure if that's true. So, you know, don't quote me on that. But that's what they said. They said, I think they said that they met there. Um, they were both a little old <laughs> or a little old in comparison to like their peers when they met and got married. They were, no, wait. Sorry. This not get, probably not getting this story right because they, got married when they were like in their late 20s so they definitely weren't in high school anymore but they got I know this for sure I know they got married when they were in their late 20s they had children when they were in their 30s and they moved to America in a later wave in like 1980 I think 1987 or 6 yeah they first, they, they had my brother, my oldest brother, in a Thai refugee camp, and he was born in 1986. So they came to America shortly after that, settled in California, started moving up the West Coast, and we've been settled in Seattle for a while. That sounds like a lovely story. It <laughs> so safe. I, we have, I've heard like almost like nostalgic stories about those camps like these I, I remember like being at a party and these group of ladies were talking about how my dad was like the handsomest guy at the refugee camp how they always wanted him to take pictures of them or like he was just a popular guy not a lot has been like told mm -hmm. of those camps um 
from my um, John friends, they, one of their dads was really like affected by it. He, he doesn't take his kids out camping because it's like, he like, I don't know, it feels adverse that like kids are going out and into the wild for fun, whereas he had to do it because he was forced into it. Mm-hmm. And so my parents still don't really like talk about their that part of their lives. But my sister, my older sister, she understands Lao a lot better than I can. So that's why she's able to like tell me more about what's going on in that aspect of our parents' lives. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't really know a lot about their experiences in the camps either. There's like a few old, old pictures of my oldest brother, like as a baby. And I think they were taken in the camps. But on the other hand, maybe they weren't because like who has a camera in a refugee camp in the 1980s? My dad would probably. Did he? He, there's a picture of him and a bunch of boys teenage boys like just carrying cameras on their necks like he was part of like the av club in at, in, in laos or something like i don't maybe not in camp <laughs> i don't yeah it's interesting how our parents like pick and choose random things that they want to share about the camps and just the whole migration experience in general like i remember years ago my parents and I were at a Korean restaurant and they brought out um the little what's it called the banchans Mm -hmm. the little small shareable plates and one of them was fried fish and my dad was like oh this is like the fish that they used to serve us at the camps every day they would just give us a small bowl of rice my dad was just like yeah you know Okay, he was like, food was sparse, but after like many months of being fed this way and not having an abundance of food, this is what we were used to. And by the end of it, you know, we were totally fine with just having a small bowl of rice and fish every day. Sometimes if they felt really fancy, sometimes if they wanted to feel really fancy or like go all out, they would add a little more broth to the water and they would have kanji, basically. I was like, like, oh, that's really my sad. favorite food. <laughs> I mean, it, it 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 is it is a great dish, but yeah, just hearing but... that story, I was like, oh, that's depressing. Thanks for sharing <laughs> in this Korean restaurant. PTSD. That's a little dramatic, but it definitely right. like triggered um, that memory. Interesting, and maybe. And maybe he thought I was old enough to handle handle that story. But it's so detailed, it. but like remembering like your meals there. I don't know. I'm just gonna have to sit on that. That is like totally random. Mm-hmm. But also like knowing your dad, understanding like, yeah, he would come up with a story like that. <laughs> when I was 17, I was given an assignment. And so I did my research and I 
it like it was hard learning about because I, well I didn't expect to learn that there was a secret war going down over there um that like and it made me realize like my parents journey here was very like I would say difficult and traumatizing mainly because those bombs affected the country like on a personal level like my mom has scars on her body from those bombs but she never really told me where it came from until I did actually did my research where, where where did she live? Um, I think she lived in the capital city. She didn't really go into like how like how old she was or like when she got those scars, but she just told me like she got these like she's always felt self conscious about those scars, um, and that you know she just told me like something exploded in front of her and she was too close and it hit her and scarred her like there's one going through down her arm and like one down her chest and i didn't really understand like the background of that until i did my research this is how this is what i like learned from that research project was um the secret war was run by the cia and um, i think it was international law that planes full of bombs could not fly over Vietnam and so they dropped a ton of artillery on top on Laos just to unload so they can fly over Vietnam the other reason why they did that was because they, they thought the Viet Cong the communist leaders were also hiding in the jungles of Laos which came up to be true um, that they had caves in like the jungles I think of southern Laos and so that was what the United States military was strategy was. Um, and then the secret war was run by the CIA. Like they had a couple officials fly down to like the hill tribes of Laos to meet with the Hmong folks, the Hmong mm -hmm. tribe and um, just coordinate. Okay, I think I, do know a little bit more about this now um, because when I went to Laos in 2018, we actually went to the, what's it called? The Siem Kuang province in Laos, which is kind of like to the north, the northeast. Um, it was my parents' first time going there. So that was fun to experience with them. Fun's kind of a weird word. Um, but they went because I really wanted to see the plane of jars or the field of jars. That, that's what this is referring to, right? Um, we all went to Siang Kuang because I wanted to see the plane of jars. But I learned a little bit about what I think was the secret war there and how like millions of bombs have been dropped in that province or pretty much all over the country of Laos um, and how there's still a lot of undetonated bombs there to this day. I think towards the last couple of years, Obama went to Laos. Here's $3 million to help clean it up. The American government just 
almost paying reparations, like just being accountable for what happens. Then he brought in visited Laos again in like his other show. And I remember him asking this guy who, you know, accidentally stepped on a bomb. Do you ever feel angry towards the Americans for what happened in Laos? And he's like, well, bombs were put there by them, but they also helped heal me and save my life. So I'm looking, I feel stupid because I'm looking back on my Instagram to see like my pictures from my last trip to Laos. And I definitely learned a little bit about the secret war there. Like I can confirm it because I actually wrote about it in my caption. (laughs) But on that trip around the plane of jars, like it's actually a part of this giant, giant field with a bunch of craters, like all around it where you could see the bombs that went off. And there is a small little museum next to the plane of jars that talks a lot about the secret war. And like you were actually able to go into a couple of the caves. They even, they didn't even know what was going on. Um, they have never ever talked about it. I don't really know. I feel like it's inevitable that they had to know. Like, do you think it would have been possible to live in Laos during that time and not know? They definitely seemed very, um, like, invested and interested when we were in the museum at the Field of Jars, like the museum dedicated to the Secret War. Um, We're reading things. They didn't seem shocked, though. So maybe that means that they vaguely knew about it because imagine like living through it you don't really like just understanding like the trickle down effect not really understanding like happening Mm -hmm. it's like much bigger than yourself Mm -hmm. so yeah like did they know it's like did did they know that they were living through a historic event during that time in their life, when they were going, to, were in those refugee camps, I think it was just a matter of survival. Like, when what's the next stop? Mm-hmm. And when is it going to end? Like, where are we going to find our home? Yeah, I guess at that point, you're only thinking about, like, your next few steps and not really trying to think of, think pieces to write about your situation. Would you consider, like, intergenerational trauma to be like something in your family like a thing in your family because I know your parents they're so crazy (laughs) (laughs) I I would say they're on the better end of level-headed yeah uh my siblings and I were super blessed with some parents that are um honestly pretty pretty nice And I feel like if this, if I was trying to describe them or talk about them 10 years ago or over 10 years ago when I was a teenager, um, I don't think I would have been able to describe them as so. But going back to generational trauma, um, I feel really guilty saying this but I think my parents did a really good job of doing their best to not pass that on to us I don't know it's like 
nowadays, since mental health and going to therapy is so, it's a lot less stigmatized. I see a lot of my friends and peers like talking about their experiences um, with going to therapy and talking about their interracial, intergenerational trauma. And it just makes me so thankful for how I I grew up, how I was raised. Um, my friends are just talking about how their parents would like constantly lash out at them when they were children. That brings like a different perspective though. Like, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it. Like, because I mean, one thing that definitely depresses the hell out of me is thinking about like how hard it was for my parents to move here, especially, oh my God, I'm getting teary eyed now. (laughs) Like, like watching my mom take care of my baby niece and like just seeing all the support that my niece has and how much support like any baby needs. I just can't imagine how my mom like gave birth here twice without anyone with her, without her mom. Like, yeah, there was my dad too, but like, I could never imagine having a child or going through, just going through such a big life change, like without my parents there, but they did it. And they, I don't know, did everything that they could to give us the best life possible. It must've been really hard. I feel a little guilty that they had to be sponges and pretty much like soak up any resentment or anger, frustration that they must've felt to not let it out on us. What's the Taoist expression? Like a blade of grass will flow with the wind to keep it alive or So last topic, do you feel obligated to like leave a legacy for your parents? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, What would that be? I don't know exactly. (laughs) I just know that I have to do something especially considering like what I just shared earlier about how hard that they worked for us. Um, I don't know, filial piety, piety. How do you say it? I know what you're talking about. I know. That's just (laughs) a big, um, important virtue for me now that... I am an adult and now that I can understand everything that my parents went through, I feel like a lot of things and decisions that I do in my life is like with them in mind and it keeps me, this is really corny, (laughs) but it, it makes me want to work hard and like give the job that I have my all. Like I, I feel like I feel like they're part of the reason why I want to work at the museum. It's because, or why I want to continue working at the museum. It's because I want to um, like continue educating people 
about the experiences of Lao American people. Like I'm the only Lao staff member there. I want to share this. I want to share my story. I want to share this part of the world and these experiences. And I mean, I work at a freaking museum. I feel like that's very a very privileged thing to do. Um, to like work in the art industry or museum field. And I would have never been able to work in a field like that if it wasn't for the sacrifices of my parents. So it's because of them that I'm able to do what I love. And for that, I wanna, wanna give it up my all. Enjoy the rest of your night. You too. Thanks for chatting with me. Thanks for having me. I hope. Yeah. I hope that was okay. It'll be fine. Okay. Let me know how it turns out. <laughs> yeah. I'll. It's gonna be turn like it's gonna be a part of a website, so I'll link you to um, it, and you okay. can check out other people's stuff too. Okay. Thanks. All right. Have a good Bye. night. Night. Bye. Bye. Like the amount of money was substantial.